greater even than the gods. They rule their universe with absolute power. With that football field out there tonight, that's our universe. Let's rule it like Titans. It's Nick Barbie. Windass to his right, Campbell to his left. Osik is top scorer. Fraser Campbell. A slip by Lewis Carroll. Windass! Quite simply, destined to be from Team Windass. Welcome to the very first and hopefully not last topic over tea, the podcast. I'm Tom Blenko, I'm the director of Titans Football Club in Texas, and our opening episode guest was none other than head of specialist coaching for the FA in England, Aaron Danks. Aaron is a holder of the UEFA Pro Licence, he spent over a decade at West Bromwich Albion Academy and was part of the England under-20 coaching staff who led the team to World Cup success in 2017. But before we get into all of our fascinating chat, I wanted just to explain what Topic Over Tea actually is and how I found myself trying to learn how to edit audio clips through random apps on my Mac. So Topic Over Tea is a weekly staff meeting that I've been running for several months. It's been a top driving force in creating a fun learning culture for the coaching staff. As it evolved, we looked at inviting different guests outside of the club to come in and share their expertise and their coaching journeys. Due to the geographical logistics of the globe, it made more sense to have people call in through Skype, etc., Adding to the unavailability of some of our staff due to work conflicts, the podcast vision was formed. The hope now is to create something valuable for our staff and hopefully players and families long term that will move us all forward in our club's mission. Be brave, be bold, be titans, and hope you enjoy. Have a, an introduction as to you know who you are and, and who you're working for and you know kind of what your what your background is. No problem. So um I've been a career coach, so it's all I've ever done since uh, since I left school, really. So never played professionally. Um, from the moment I left school, I got into um, got into coaching where I met Mesa really at Birmingham City. So I worked in the community program, did a, an apprenticeship as a coach. So two years, went to college with the scholars, uh, did a, did my coaching badges. When they were on the grass practicing and training, I was a bag of balls a bus pass going into inner city schools in Birmingham, putting sessions on. So, um, yeah, just really did it from, from day dot, really coming out of school. Um, that moved on. So I worked at the community program, lots of grassroots work, holiday camps, um, moved into the academy, worked a bit in the academy at Birmingham. And at the same time, I was working at a college program. So doing some teaching qualifications, coaching the youth team at the college. Um, Moved across to West Brom. My first full-time job at West Brom was to set up a video analysis department. So uh, literally brought a video camera, uh, got a laptop, got some sports code, basic stuff. Uh, and I was filming games, training sessions. I was coaching the 12s and 13s of an evening. And then in the daytime, I'd be with the youth team coach filming his sessions, clipping stuff up for him. So it was really good for me in terms of learning from some high-level coaches but also learning some IT skills. Um, they kind of realised quite soon that uh, video analysis was important and they need to set the department up professionally. So I, I came out of that. I then ran the 12 to 16s programme, um, did that for a few years, then took the youth team. And then three and a half years ago, left to join the FA. So worked for the FA ever since. Uh, joined as a specialist in possession coach. Didn't really know what that meant because it was something that would not really done in football. 
exciting chance to go and work with the best players in the country, come out of my bubble. So I've been at West Brom for 10 years to come out of that, see what was going on elsewhere, learn. Um, so three and a half years down the line, uh, did one camp with the under 18s as the in possession coach, got pushed up to us to go with the under 20s, uh, did a season with the 20s when we won the World Cup um, as the in possession coach. Then did a 19s, 20s cycle again, so three years with the age groups. Um, quite quickly, the, uh, Gareth Southgate was leading the in-possession group of staff. He stepped up to take over the seniors when I stepped up to 20s. He asked me if I would then lead the in-possession group of staff, so that was a big challenge for me. And um, So I did that. Uh, so I've led the in-possession work up until last January when they, again, give me another little promotion to become head of specialist coaching so now I oversee the in and the out of possession coaches looking at how we play so what our teams look like on the grass but also quite importantly how we coach so how do we use a specialist coaching model um, so that's where I'm currently at so this season I'm not attached to one team I'm bouncing around all the age groups spending a camp with every team um, getting to see all the players working with the clubs collaborating with our coach education team and so it's a really exciting, diverse role. No week's ever the same, um, but enjoying it. What, what does that look like with being a, either an in-possession coach or an out-possession coach with regards to like the, the runnings of sessions day-to-day? How, how does that work yeah. from a session planning standpoint? Yeah, so um, that's been the, the real exciting piece for us and the big challenge. So uh, the way the model looks is you'd have a head coach yeah. who would oversee everything. He runs the, he runs the operation. Then you'd have uh, he would have two assistant coaches. One would focus on the in possession, one would focus on the out possession, and then a goalkeeper coach. So um, I call those four coaches the pack. So they're the pack of coaches, and we talk to them a lot about pack coaching. So how are you four working together in the sessions? What what we noticed to begin with was people would do an in possession day, and then the next day would be an out of possession day. So one coach would be working. Everybody else would be stood on the side of the pitch with their arms folded, watching, observing. Right. Um, wasn't necessarily giving us uh, any advantage than having one really good coach. So what we've tried to push them more towards is going, okay, if I'm an in-possession coach and I'm planning a session, what role do I want my out-possession coach to play in it? What role do I want the head coach to play in it? So I'll plan sessions now. We might do some tactical warfare stuff where, the defence coach sets some problems and my attackers have got to try and break it down, got to try and work out what's going on. Uh, the head coach might just be looking at individuals or specific moments. Um, so we're just trying to think about how, how we, or how the four of us can work effectively in a session. Um, I think the, the, best, the best analogy or story that I use to try and explain it is um, so there's almost like three roles. So in the practice, who, had, who has the broad lens on the whole practice? So who has a, an overview of the whole work, timekeeping, rules, constraints? He's the main voice that's running the show. Um, who then might have Zoom focus on a certain area or a certain unit or, or part of the pitch? Mm. So we have broad lens, Zoom focus, and then the, another coach might just have laser precision. And he might just be looking purely at one moment, one player, one one specific action. Every cross comes in or every finish or whatever it is, we would we would plan for that now. So we'd plan to try and get everybody in, incorporated and, and co-coach and pack coach 
the session the session better. With with regards to club football, you know, again, spending time at, at Liverpool, um, which was our previous club, we we I was the director of the international academies over here, so spent time going across yeah. to, to the academy. One of the things that they focused on, obviously, with their youth development phase within their planning of sessions, was a focus on a particular player, right? So how can we yeah. get this player into the first team? So every session was built around that one player to a point. Is there a big difference yeah. then now between going from coaching in a in a club academy environment to then coming into an international setup? Because, is, or is it the same mindset of this is the one that we know we want to try and get into the twenty ones and then you know the, the the first team? Like what's what's the, the mindset shift there? Um, so there's a there's a really really nice balance in in the international world that we we have to win and we have to be competitive. Uh, so we go into major tournaments and we want to give our young players exposure to those major tournaments. But we also are here to develop them. Um, it's unique international football because like, unlike a club's academy, we can't fail. So the players are always going... We, you can only we can play English players. So the players are always going to come through. Whereas if you're a club, the first team manager has a choice whether he's going to buy from outside or he's going to look into the academy. Right. Gareth's only got one option, really. Gareth's okay. got to look at what's coming through and and the players that we're developing. So it's, it's slightly different in that regard. Um, but for us, the, the challenge is very much uh, how do we get that balance right between team coaching and developing teams that can go through competitions, win and, and be successful versus developing the individuals that are going to go through the pathway, play for Gareth and, and help our senior team win. Um, so we have to we have to blend the two really. Um, we talk a lot about the individual player development plans or the international development plans. So we link to the clubs. What are you working on at your club? A lot of it's player led. Um, what can we continue to work on when you're with us? But also, what might be different in international football? What experiences might you get with us that are different to your club and can add value to you as well? So I've heard, I've heard on like past interviews and, and things that you've done um, where we talk about obviously the differences between a development and a performance environment. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on yeah. that a little bit and give us examples of what that is? Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure if I'm going to contradict myself now from one of those previous interviews. <laughs> um, I'd, like, I'd like to think that there's not a massive difference. Right. That, that what we do, that what you do with your developmental mindset, what you do with your coaching, uh, leads to performance so that's what I'm trying to challenge myself to do as, as I work higher and I work with uh, top top players is just to keep my developmental hat on and talk about right I'm here to improve you I think that gets buying from the players um, we're here to be successful there's, there's, the more the more you get towards the performance end of the spectrum I guess the more you're going to have to talk about the opposition opposition analysis get that percentage the percentage of talking about them versus just concentrating on us will get higher. Um, we kind of want our 15s and 16s just just purely about us. And then our 17s that start going to tournaments, European Championships, 19s at Euros, 20s at World Cups, 21s at Championships. They'll start to do a little bit more opposition analysis, start to talk a little bit more about game plans and, and what we need to do to beat the, beat the opponent that's in front of us. Um so I guess there's a little bit of a swing there, but I think I think good coaching is good coaching, and if it's if it's the right thing, it's the right thing. So we should just trust ourselves, believe in ourselves, 
Um, we, we're doing some, like our 15s coach is doing some brilliant, brilliant work the other day and he was he was talking about it in terms of, yeah, it's the 15s and this is what I'm doing. And I said to him, I said, well, Fuggy, if you managed to get the seniors job tomorrow, what, what would change in your coaching? What would you do differently? Because I think we've created a really exciting environment and, um, and there'd obviously be some some differences and some contrast, but um, yeah, it's exciting to think about coaching that way. Yeah, no, no I, I agree with that. So, just like sticking on, on England real quick, there's obviously been a, a, a big shift. I think everyone sees from the outside looking in with, with regards to the success, especially at the youth ranks. You know, we've not we're not there right now with the first team. Obviously, we're hoping for the Euros. Um, what, what do you put that down to with the youth success, and what's what's kind of been the the big change, and what what are the challenges uh, that you faced? Yeah, I mean, this the. Um... We 20, 2017, 2018, we had an incredible season of uh, unique success, really, which um, we were the first nation to hold the 17s and the 20s, sorry, the 18s and 20s World Cups. Um, we also held the European, the under-19s European Championships the same year. So we were so successful in three major tournaments uh, at the same time. Um, and there's lots, so many different factors that went into us being successful in that in that period. So um, the whole academy restructure, the EPPP, the stuff that was the stuff that was going on at the clubs, the development of really skillful players. Um, like the clubs have to take so much credit for that uh, and the work that they were doing. That was we definitely were getting a better product coming down the driveway into St George's Park to work with. Um, so that was good that was exciting there was a big big monetary investment from the FA so like I said already to have a head coach an in and out of possession coach a goalkeeper coach and a lot of those staff becoming full time so of all those models across all our teams probably 80% of it is full time 80% of those staff are full time employees of the FA now so uh, there was a big monetary investment we were going to tournaments I felt we were the best prepared there so we had all that staff, we had all that resource, we were taking more staff than most other nations. Now, I'm not saying that that guarantees success, it doesn't, but we could get into detail, we could plan, we could uh, do our opposition analysis. Um, so we were getting lots and lots of detail out of that out of that investment as well. So FA takes a little bit of credit for the investment it made. Clubs take a massive piece of credit for the players that they were producing. Um and then I think we were, we found with our young players, we were brave in terms of what we were asking them to do and how we were trying to play. And they were fearless, like just some young, exciting players that were fearless and would go anywhere around the world now and be happy to go toe-to-toe with anybody and try and impose our game style on, on our position. So, yeah, it's almost like a bit of a perfect storm. Right. Uh, we've had a couple of years since then where... We've gone to European Championships and we've not had play, like we've struggled with player release from clubs or um, we maybe just haven't performed. So we've had a bit of a roller coaster since then. So it's not all it's not all clean sailing. And like you said, the key thing for us now is how do we get our seniors winning? It's great that we're having youth success, but right. it's all about getting the senior team over the line. So I mean, I, th- I think for me, I can speak for myself on this. When we talk about international football in England as a first team, and there's there's clips and things that pop around social media all the time with the golden era and what went wrong. And it was all very clicky, right? Yeah. With regards to you got your Liverpool lads, you got your Man United lads. 
Um, was that something that was the same coming through the youth on the international side? And is that something that you've changed to affect the culture? Because I think that's been well documented now that it almost seems now that England are playing. It's like a it's like it's like a team where before it wasn't. So is, was that just a, a big yeah. change that's happened there throughout throughout all the the age groups? Yeah, definitely. We've been been uh, really really deliberate about that. So I can't I can't comment on what went gone before and never experienced it. Right. But what I've experienced has been around creating a family like feel. Um, opening up, being vulnerable to the players and getting the players being vulnerable around each other. So talking to each other, we do a task with our players when they come on camp around, not not every camp, but maybe the first camp of the year around like your lifeline. So you'd pick out five big moments that have shaped you and got you to where you are now. And some of the stuff the players share is incredible, like really most emotional, personal bits. And, yeah. uh, but you just create that, create that bond, create that chemistry, create that, understanding um, internationals internationals can be tough because you're away from home for 10, 12 days at a time. If you're going to a major tournament, it can be five, six weeks. You're living in a hotel. Um, you've got a lot of time on your hands. So again, we've, we've thought a lot about the other 22 hours. So if we, say for example, on the grass for two hours a day, what about the other 22 hours? So right. how do we make our sleep and recovery a competitive advantage. How do we teach while off the pitch? So how do we uh, do team meetings or classroom sessions or one-to-ones with the players to fast-track the learning? Um, but then also the social side of it. So how do we create a really good environment where there's there's fun, there's stuff going on, there's bits for them to be getting involved in. and uh, so, so yeah, it's been really deliberate by us and really trying to create that that sense of uh, they're excited to come away with England. It's like it's always it's always it's always exciting. It's privileged to get called up by your country, but once you've done it four, five, six times, how how do you keep that sense of excitement? How does it not just become the norm? And ultimately, you're stuck in a hotel. You're stuck in a hotel. You've got to try and make that exciting. I think. I mean, I think we even face it kind of as just you know youth player coaches as well, right? Like. We get these kids two or three times a week, an hour and a half, two hour sessions. You know, how do you keep it, like you said, fun, engaging, different? I mean, that's yeah. obviously the the challenge and the task of the coach. You know, we're we're real big right now with regards to our club here of creating that that culture, like you said, of a family and, and positivity, yeah. not only for our staff to improve and get better, but then obviously to go in and influence the players. Uh, can you give us kind of a, an example of what some key ingredients would be to create a positive learning environment? Yeah, um, yeah. I think I, I'm looking at this a lot. So I'm looking at this not just from a player's perspective, but also from a from like a coaching perspective. So the environment that we've we've put around our coaches at the moment, um, and I'm looking at like big companies, Google. I'm looking at um, I'm going out to Lego uh, next month to their creativity conference. Um, Look at the Apple, all the Apple stores. Like they've all gone through a big redesign at the moment, and there's like massive screens with loads of little wooden footstools and balls to sit on, and real open spaces, creative areas. So we're just trying to look at create 
create as many creative environments as possible, play environments where people want to go and play. So um, off the field, off the pitch, which obviously what we're talking about at the moment would be um, how do you get a room? How do you get the players like a honey trap? How do we create an environment where the players want to go? Mm-hmm. And then coaches can be dotted in and around there with their laptops and clips and and learnings. And we use Sabutio boards to show the players or tactics boards. Um, so if we've got a, an Xbox in there or they're having a FIFA tournament or they've got a pool table or they're playing cricket in the corridors or we would, we would try and create a real fun, playful environment that we'd then just use entice the players, get them in there, make it fun and then get the coaches in and around it and get the coaches drip feeding key messages. So it doesn't, for the players, it doesn't feel formal. It doesn't look, feel like learning, but there's loads of learning taking place. Right. Um, I guess the, the, the second part to your question would be like, how would that then relate to on the grass and how do you create really good learning environments on the pitch? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that excites me more than anything else as a coach, really. That's a massive passion of mine. Uh, so things like practice design, uh, things like and flow, coaching, coaching manner. How, how do you, how do you impact as a coach? Uh, I think really exciting things. So, a couple of a couple of th- key things I learned young young as a coach was around making it look like the game. Not just there was a few throwaway comments before around let the game be the teacher and. I think few coaches just took that literally and thought they didn't have a role to play in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, making sure you making sure your practices look like the game. Um, for us in the international world, we've highlighted some really key important things. So um, we want our teams to be able to play with two tempos. So look forward, play forward, and show control and patience. So we want to keep that Englishness about us, that we can go quick and we can break lines and we can be like Liverpool are at the moment. But we also know there's going to be moments in the game where we need to have control, patience, maybe disorganise them with how we move the ball, maybe manage the game with how we move the ball. Um, so if you just took those two principles um, and thought, right, what does that mean for practice design? Well, OK, every practice then needs to be directional. Because hmm. if we want our players to make good decisions on when to go forwards and when to retain and build, we need to make sure we've got direction in every practice that we deliver. So as much as possible, we're trying to avoid just a standard rondo. The standard rondos have massive uh, have, have rewards, have benefits. But for us, the lack of direction in that practice makes us think, right, okay, what could we do differently? How could we add a direction, create a bit of direction in a rondo? So we might be put a halfway line in, got two or three passing this up, you've got to get over the halfway line. Little Trying to create little moments like that. Another really important one for us in international football is transition. So... We're a nation that wants to have the ball. We know that if you're playing against England, you try and hurt us in transition on the counter-attack. So we try and make sure there's transition in every every practice that we do. So we just have some little key, simple guidelines. Is it directional? Does it have transition? Is there opposition? And as much as we can in our sessions, if we can create those three things, we know it's going to look like the game. We know there's going to be learning taking place and we're going to be bringing it back to our principles and what we're trying to do. Do you feel that like having your multiple coaches, because I'm assuming obviously when you're running your session, you've got your staff there and you've got multiple coaches, like you've said, in possession, out of possession, that that obviously helps drive that that accountability, you know, within the delivery of a a session. One thing that obviously we struggle with 
over here is, and one thing we're trying to look at changing, is I'm a big believer in that you know dual coaching setup and, and having you know two to three yeah. people there at each session. Um, you know, again, like yeah. even going back to your past experiences, there must have been a time where you're a, 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 a solo coach on your own. Do you think that is yeah. just hugely beneficial to have multi coaches within within a session? Yeah, hugely, hugely. I, 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 I can. The amount of things that we see now that we weren't seeing before, right? And the the detail that we're going into with around the game, like the data and the stuff that we're measuring, it's like opening Pandora's box. Mm. And uh, the more we use more coaches, the more detail we get, and the more individualised the outcomes become. So every when when I was a solo solo coach, every player left with my key messages. Now players are leaving sessions and the right players are getting the right messages and they're leaving with different returns, different outcomes, but but more specific to what they need. Right. Um, so, and I just think the game's, the game's so dynamic um, and the learning environment's so important that if you create that, you get that learning environment right, the session kind of takes care of itself. 80% of it takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. And then it's the 20% of nuggets and detail that you're adding. But don't underestimate the importance of that 20%. The detail, the the what are you noticing? What are we looking for? How are we noticing it? What are we sharing? How are we working well together as a pair or as a three or as a pack of coaches um, to impact the players? What are the players actually leaving with? What benefits are they getting? I think it's, yeah. I think super exciting. I think that's the future of coaching for me. No, I, I, I agree. Because I mean, again, when you're a solo coach, you're really putting it on yourself more so than anything else to, you know, self-reflect and self-assess, right? And then sometimes you can even be kidding yourself in that in that department. So I feel that having you know dual coaches there, that way you're holding each other accountable. Because I would imagine after like same with us, whether we're solo coaching or dual coaching, you've got that process of then sitting back after a practice, right, and going over what it is that that, that worked, didn't work. Um, what you can tweak, yeah. what you can fix, and I think that when you're a solo coach, obviously that 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 hurts that process when there's not somebody else there to to, to bounce back off. To be honest, so it's definitely for me the, the way forward at, at any level, be it grassroots, what we do over here, and even in even in uh, even in your planning as well. You yeah. talk about the review there. We talk a lot about plan do review cycle. Mm-hmm. So planning for the two of you, planning for this is your role in this exercise. This is the role that you have to play. These are the things. You need to look out for. I yeah. think it's really important. Yeah, no, no, I do. Um, I know we're short of time, so I've got a few other little uh, things for it's you. Okay. Just, just sticking on the cultural side of things, we're yes. creating this culture over here again of positivity and and, and learning. Um, I was reading, listening to something yesterday, um, and, it, and I didn't go all the way in because I actually wanted to hear it from you today. But there was a Golden State Warriors kind of story reference yeah. there with regards to multi sports and cultures and stuff. So, can you kind of explain yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, 12 months ago, I, I went to New Zealand and out to America um, to visit different sports. So I wanted to look at different invasion sports. And I went with three key questions, really. One was um, around your coaching models. So what does your coaching setup look like? Because I'm looking, for, obviously, for, from a specialist coaching perspective, what did that look like in other sports? Yeah. Um, how do you develop your players to thrive in the biggest moments of the biggest game? So I wanted to go to organisations that have won and that have been successful. And then the third one was we'd, de- we'd worked hard for 12 months on like a transition philosophy, a transition principles. And I wanted to test that against different sports. Um, so 
New Zealand was brilliant. A lot of rugby. Uh, met some of the All Blacks guys. Incredible. Come out to America. Flew into Chicago. Um, they'd just come out of a brutal winter and they were really grumpy and moody. And uh, I got lynchpinned out of the Chicago Bulls training facility. Like it was a <laughs> interesting trip. But I got into an ice hockey team. Uh, a little bit around the Bears, then flew to San Francisco and on to LA. So around San Francisco, LA, I did 49ers, Golden State Warriors, LA Clippers, University of uh, Southern California. Right. So I did I did a multitude. Did you call them? Did you just show up? Or was this, they were receptible to you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of it I'd, pre, I'd pre-planned and pre pre got in right. some of it was off the cuff some of it was last minute messages and emails and twitter and linkedin and just trying to just trying to connect anywhere i could That's awesome, um it turned out turned out to be one of the best learning experiences i had yeah the golden state warriors was fantastic so i had a 71 year old assistant coach ron adams uh who messaged me to say two days before he messaged me to say it's game day saturday um I'd already got a ticket for the game on the evening. They were playing Houston Rockets. Um, I got a ticket. He says, game day Saturday. He said, none of the players are coming in to practice. They're just reporting for the game. But if you want to meet for breakfast, come in and have breakfast. So I went in at 10 o'clock in the morning, met him. And like, I'm a 36-year-old guy from England, knows nothing about basketball. He's a 71-year-old coaching guru, really, around the NBA. He was was so good. Um, And we just flicked. We just hit it off and we just like, he was asking more questions than I was asking and we were just bouncing off each other. Ended up spending the whole day with them. So I met him at 10 o'clock in the morning, did the whole game day experience with them in the dressing rooms, courtside, the whole thing. Uh, left him at 10 o'clock on the night. Um, and it was a incredible, mind-blowing experience. There's, we spoke about so much, but the one big thing to take away from the organisation, the culture they created was fantastic, incredible. So... Well, I met Steve Kerr in the morning and Steve Kerr said to me, he said, what, Aaron, what do you want to know? What do you... I said, I'm looking at coaching models and how you're winning. The... And he went, oh, we're rubbish at that. And I laughed. You won four out of the last five championships. I laughed at him. He went, no, no, I'm serious. He said, right, where else are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to the Clippers. He went, Doc Rivers is brilliant. He said, you'll, you'll learn so much from him. He said, we're all right. He said, but what we do is we've got good players and we create a really good environment around them. And I took, I like... He was being really humble. He was being really modest. And they have to obviously do lots of good stuff. But the more that you spent the day with them, the more you could just tell they valued the culture more than anything else. Mm-hmm. The culture was more important than the X's and the O's. The culture was more important than any individual and any player. Um, so as, as the day went on, and this is well documented, so I'm not speaking out of term, um, I got to question them on the culture and get to understand what they were, what they were doing. And they had four key cornerstones, really. So the first one was compete. So they wanted everything to be competitive all the time. But he'd do things like uh, get a dartboard. Basketball players don't know what darts is. They've never seen a dartboard before. So we'd get a dartboard in and have a competition with them. And they'd make it fun but competitive. We'd cancel training, take on bowling, do something with them to get a competitive spirit going again. Uh, so compete was in everything they did. Um and I know the Seahawks do that well as well with Pete Carroll. I think that's where the connection had come. Um, the next one was about joy. So the whole environment had to be fun, had to be enjoyable. 
And I was like, wow, this is like academy stuff that I would do with kids. Right. Like, and he's like, no, 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 no. This is the difference. This is what it takes to win. Uh, so if you watch Steph Curry warming up, he's always dancing. He's always relaxed to the music. It reminds me of the Diego Maradona clip where yeah, he's yeah. dancing to the, the Life is Life song. And um, <laughs> it reminded me so much of that. They were so laid back. And he said, we worked hard on creating that culture. So getting the staff, taking the mickey out of the staff to begin with, poking fun at each other, then doing it with the players. Then the players are doing it back at the staff and just creating a really fun, enjoyable environment. Uh, third one was mindfulness. So I think a lot of the American sports are ahead of us in England in terms of meditation, well-being, being mindful. But it was also mindful of your teammates, mindful of your role, mindful of um, the privileges that you have. Uh, so they were, they were good around that. And then the fourth one was perspective. And they kept using this word throughout the whole day around perspective. But you just said, like, we coach perspective. We're really deliberate about you've got young, multimillionaire superstars whose life could be bonkers. It could mm. be like Jay-Z's inviting me to a party. I'll go to the Oscars. I could do this, do that. You know what I mean? The world that's wrapped around them, but they're given perspective on what it means. And they get people coming and talk to them or, ex-military or previous athletes that have gone poor. They do lots of work in the community. They invest back in. And I don't think that was just a Golden State Warriors thing. That seems to be something that basketball in general does well. So mm. LeBron James's school and Kobe Bryant's stuff uh, around the Mamba Academy and that you, you see all the, the investments that they make. Um, but as a culture, it was, yeah, it was mind-blowingly good. Really good. Did you take away, so those takeaways there, did, did you then come back into the England setup and try and incorporate any of those things into what it is that you guys are doing there? Yeah, definitely. We we, we would have our own, so we wouldn't, We I, I took loads from it and I took loads from the All Blacks, and, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you can't just pick it up, copy it no. and reproduce it. It was like, what, what's authentic to us or what do we stand for? Um, but it kind of really reinforced me the importance of that fun enjoyable environment of, of having a bit of a laugh and a joke and sometimes we can get that caught up with we're a national organisation we've got to win we've got to do well we become so serious and so uh, detailed and corporate and we just kind of make sure we keep keep checking ourselves on that and keep making sure it's fun and, and for the players um, the compete stuff was brilliant uh, but no we, we would definitely think about what it means for us as England and What's our identity? And, yeah, related back to that. I think I think that's the thing that we face over here, and we're obviously approaching things a little bit differently. But obviously, I don't know how much you know about the kind of the youth market in America. It's obviously a, a pay to play model, uh, so parents feel that their you know yeah. their opinions matter a little bit more and what what they expect out of a session. So yeah, you know you do see some some coaches at other clubs. Again, their their culture is either non-existent or it's based around you know players have to come and they have to just run and work and it, and it be all about the physical side where you know I think we've took it upon ourselves here to go you know one of the, the mindsets here is well players have got to have the mentality to go to practice to work they've got to hustle they've got to run where we wanted to change it and flip it and go we want our players to have this mindset to, to want to go to practice to learn yeah there's there's work involved in it yeah. but we want them to go learn and yeah. the, the, the next piece to that as you said and I don't think it matters whether we talk about our coaching staff I mean we try and make these meetings as fun as interactive as well because I'm just a big believer of like, like I know you are 
is you want people to want to be there, right? So we we always try and end sessions to be competitive, but but fun. We want kids to want to come back because a lot of the times here, because it's a pay to play model in the American market, so to speak. Sometimes, especially in the youngers in in our foundation phase, it's just something that parents will you know you've got to go do it. So we're going to pay, and you've got to go there. And sometimes you feel that players are forced to go. So. We've really tried to pride ourselves yeah. on kids wanting to, to train, right, and kids wanting to, to come in and install and install love of the game. So that's um, yeah. I mean, culture's culture in it, wherever it is, whatever sport, whatever business. To yeah. be honest, I think I think it just transcends across everything. Um, a couple of things because yeah. again, I'm real conscious of your time, knowing that you you, you got to go that's train. Okay. Um, wanted to kind of end things with really um, advice. Um, you know, do you have advice for our staff in in the room for kind of young young coaches? Uh, starting their journey and kind of an extension to that question um if you could because i know i've done it go back in time to give advice to your your young self when you were starting out so maybe the answers are the same i don't i don't know but advice to coaches yeah. and advice to, to yourself if you could travel back in time yeah um yeah it would be very similar yeah. i think it's I'd the same be, question i'd really. be saying to myself <laughs> just yeah yeah just um Kind of what I did really, like, don't just just love coaching. So I just loved coaching. So it doesn't matter who I coach. I'm going out to coach tonight on the Nines grassroots team, and it's like about fun, love, keep the passion of the game. Like I, I'll go. I will literally coach anybody I can. And and it was the same when I was back in the academy world. Really fortunate early on at West Brom that we we had a small group of staff. So I was taking sixes and sevens on a Friday night. And the Saturday morning, I might be taking the first team players that have not made the squad. So you would be working with everybody across the week and getting all those different experiences. So just get out there. There's no better way of learning. There's no course or qualification that can match time time on the grass and time spent with players. Um, and don't turn don't turn down any sessions. Don't turn your noses up at any sessions. Just get out there and do it and enjoy it and. Do you know where I'm at? I'm, I'm even at the moment, I'm thinking other sports. I'm thinking like, I, mean, I don't think football coaches do well, but go and coach different sports, go and coach diff, totally different environments. For my job interview to get the role at the FA, I had to coach um, the great British uh, wheelchair basketball team. Right. I was so far out of my comfort zone. And of course, like at the time, my mind was racing, but look back and reflect on it now. It's just not about the technical tactical detail. It's about your skills with people, your skills to create an environment, get a session going, get, get some peer to peer learning, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, just get out and coach as much as you can. Um, find, be authentic to yourself. So I think if you, I went into, um, Cheltenham recently and, the first team manager showed me his interview that he did for the job, his presentation. And it was 18 months further down the line. And I said to him, I said, the biggest compliment I could give you and the biggest thing I'd take away from this is you were so authentic in your interview. What you're delivering now is exactly what you said you was going to. I think if you try and pretend to be something that you're not, try to be someone else that you're not. Um, so I think you've got to find your way. And I'm... 20, 21 years into my coaching, I haven't found my way yet. I'm still right. exploring and learning and, and shaping it. Um, but yeah, just 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 get out there, get the hours done, um, love it. I, and then, and like, I, I guess my advice to a club, to a club environment would be to, the biggest thing I've learned and the biggest thing I take away from coming into the FA was 
at, at West Brom at an academy, we were quite a small club. We, we did well. We produced some good players, but we had a real consistent way of playing. We knew what our identity was. Going into the international world, we wanted to create that identity again. And we had to make it simple, memorable, um, and almost like a freedom within a framework for our coaches. So uh, the framework that we've put around them is just principle-based. So what are the principles of, of how we want to play? So there's principles of invasion sports. But then we talk about the principles of what we want to look like. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been massive for us. That's been so powerful for us. If we coach those principles really, really well, We'll, we can we can then tactically work out most games. We can then problem-solve most situations. Um, so we've become really principle-based in our coaching. So I think that's a really good thing for an organisation to explore as well. That's awesome. So, again, mate, 40, 40 minutes. I, I know you've got to get off. You know, we, no, we, we, no problem. We, I appreciate it. We appreciate it, mate. And if you're ever free... Again, um, I've got to tell you one thing, though. The screen froze about 35 minutes ago, so I've been looking at a picture of you asleep for the last 35 minutes. So we can't, we can't, did, we can't use the what? video. I did think that. In my top corner, it was, uh, wasn't moving. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so the, uh, technology. Um, so, again, yeah. pre- appreciate everything. We, we, we really, really do. And, um, yeah, thanks and, and, and enjoy your session. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, guys. Guys, keep up the good work. Appreciate you, mate. Thanks, Aaron. Wanted to again thank Aaron for his time and, and good job to our own Matt Meredith with helping on, on getting Aaron on. Uh, honestly, we could have chatted for hours. Uh, big takeaways for me are, again, simply the word culture um, and how important it is and, and being authentic uh, to what you are and, and what you're all about. Um, well, that's it. Episode one is done and feedback is needed. So if you hear this, uh, please send me your input and comments um, even if you hate it um, we're still coming back cheers and see you on the pitch